0: Hey everyone, it is Thursday, April 6th, and you are listening to the Mo News Podcast. I am Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. We read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Mosh, as you could tell, is off today. I just want to wish everyone who celebrates a happy Passover. And with that, let's get to the news on this Thursday. Two big elections this week: one in Chicago and one in Wisconsin and what the results could mean for the national political landscape. Another deadly tornado, this time in southeastern Missouri. And no, you're not dreaming. It has been a particularly brutal tornado season so far. I'll break down the numbers. We've got some promising data about an experimental treatment for early stage Alzheimer's. Ghosting. Not just for dating apps, it's also a thing in diplomacy. China just won't get back to U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken. And it comes as the House Speaker meets with the leader of Taiwan in California. Joe Biden hasn't officially announced that he is running for reelection, but he's got a new Democratic challenger. On the jobs front, some good news when it comes to employment for black Americans. And on this day in history, I will try to make Mosh proud I've got everything from World War One to ABBA. Okay, let's start with two really big political stories that got a bit overshadowed this week by the Trump arraignment. First in Wisconsin, a major win for Democrats who now have a four to three majority in the state Supreme Court. And that gives liberals their first majority on the state's highest court in 15 years. And it comes ahead of some really big decisions for the court. Janet Protasewicz is a liberal Milwaukee County judge. She defeated Daniel Kelly, a conservative former Wisconsin Supreme Court justice who was looking to return to the bench. Protasewicz won by a margin of about 10%, a sign of how much was at stake in this election. It was the most expensive state Supreme Court race in U.S. history. And it was also one of the most closely watched elections of 2023, and that's because the court is going to be deciding several key issues in the next few years. To start with, the state's abortion ban, which was enacted in 1849, is already being challenged by Wisconsin's Democratic Attorney General. The case is likely to advance to the state's Supreme Court later this year. The court could also consider the state's gerrymandered legislative districts and which election rules should be in place for the 2024 presidential election. Wisconsin is a battleground state, and it's been super close in several recent presidential elections. So Democrats really focused their messaging on abortion rights and fair elections, taking a page from the strategy that Democrats used nationally in the midterm elections, and that is when they defied expectations and did manage to keep the Senate and fend off what was expected to be a huge red wave in the House. Analysts say this win in Wisconsin shows that this strategy is working, and so we'll likely see more of that heading into next year's presidential election. Also of note, on Tuesday, Wisconsin voters did approve a constitutional amendment that could make it harder for suspects in violent crimes to be released from jail on bail. Both of these state Supreme Court candidates, though, had supported that proposed amendment. Meanwhile, in Chicago, it was a close race, but progressive Brandon Johnson beat moderate Paul Vallis to be the city's next mayor. Johnson is a former teacher, a county commissioner and union organizer backed by the powerful teachers union. He called for new taxes and the expansion of social programs in the city. Vallis is a fellow Democrat, but he has more conservative views, especially when it comes to crime and education. This race was a lot closer than in Wisconsin. Johnson got 51% of the vote. Vallis, 49%. Now, you might remember the incumbent, Lori Lightfoot. She was the first Chicago mayor in 40 years to lose re-election, and she was widely criticized for being too soft on crime Looking at some of the numbers here, Chicago had nearly 700 homicides in 2022. That is actually lower than in 2021. But 2021 was the worst year for shooting deaths in the city since the 1990s. Robberies were way up. And like in other big cities, crime just feels more visible. Everything from carjackings to muggings and looting. Still, voters narrowly rejected Valls' tough-on-crime stance and instead went for Johnson, who had previously said that he wanted to defund the police during the campaign. Johnson did try to distance himself from that position. Here is a quick soundbite from Johnson's acceptance speech when he talked about some of his plans for Chicago. A city that's truly safer for everyone by investing in what actually works to prevent crime. And that means youth employment, mental health centers, ensuring that law enforcement has the resources to solve and prevent crime, a city that actually respects the workers who keep it running. Johnson got support from big names on the Democratic left like Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders and squad member Ayanna Pressley. His win has given a boost to the Democratic Party's more liberal wing and perhaps given them a playbook on how to handle the issue of crime, which polls show continues to be a top issue for voters. As I mentioned, Johnson backed away from making big cuts to the city's police budget, but he did continue to push the idea that there needs to be this different approach to public safety with a focus on economic and community development and relying more on health professionals and social workers as opposed to just police on the street. There are some analysts, though, who say not to read too much into the outcome, that it was really close and that his win could be attributed to him consolidating the Black vote after a divided primary. But taking a wider look now at how Chicago compares to some other big cities in the country, it tended to go the same way as Los Angeles, where we did see a groundswell of support for candidate Rick Caruso. He was a Republican-term Democrat, and it forced a runoff election, but ultimately The liberal in the race, Karen Bass, wound up running. But on the other hand, we've got New York City, where Eric Adams beat out more liberal candidates in part because of his tough on crime message. Adams himself spent 22 years in the NYPD. Okay, we've got more news coming up. But now a quick word from our sponsor, Athletic Greens. I have been drinking their AG1 supplement in the mornings, the Athletic Greens AG1 powder, just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning, easy, quick, and lets you get on with your day knowing that you've gotten over 75 important ingredients including tons of vitamins and minerals. It also has pre and probiotics to support digestion and gut health. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving MoNews listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1. Visit athleticgreens.com slash MoNews to take advantage of this offer. You could get a discounted monthly subscription or try it one time for just a month. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash MoNews, M-O-N-E-W-S for this special deal and really start to take ownership of your health. Okay, now to the speed read from NBC News. A devastating tornado tore through southeastern Missouri on Wednesday morning, killing at least five people and leaving widespread destruction as authorities warned of even more twisters. The tornado struck Bollinger County before dawn, sending first responders into a frantic search for injured people caught under the rubble. There were five confirmed deaths. The tornado crossed the county at a speed of about 45 miles per hour for about 15 minutes, sometime between 3.30 a.m. and 4 a.m. local time, which is frightening because, of course, that is the middle of the night and it is uh, completely dark. Officials say the damage is significant. If you are thinking that it seems like there have been just a lot of tornadoes this year so far, You would be correct. There have been at least 478 tornado reports across 25 states so far this year, doubling the average for this point in a single year. Those twisters have been linked to nearly 70 deaths. Now, the annual average for tornado related deaths is 71. And we are only in April. As for the why, according to NPR, most of the extreme weather events that have dominated headlines recently from heat waves to atmospheric rivers to historic floods have had a clear connection to high temperatures, record rainfall and other effects of a warming planet. The same, though, cannot exactly be said for tornadoes. Scientists know that warm weather is a key ingredient in tornadoes and that climate change is altering the environment in which these kinds of storms form. But they haven't yet been able to directly connect those dots as the research into the link between climate and tornadoes still lags behind that of other extreme weather events. But while scientists may not be able to conclusively connect tornado frequency to human caused climate change, they say there are signs pointing in that direction. All right, let's talk diplomacy here. This from Politico. China is ghosting the United States. Beijing has effectively frozen high-level bilateral diplomatic contact in the wake of the Chinese spy balloon incident in February. Secretary of State Antony Blinken wants to reschedule his date with China, but Beijing is giving him the cold shoulder. The Biden administration had called off Blinken's planned trip to Beijing in February after that spy balloon was spotted over the U.S., but has since been trying to restart high-level talks, which include rescheduling the Blinken visit, setting up other trips by top U.S. officials, and even just a phone call between President Biden and Chinese leader Xi Jinping. China, though, rebuffing U.S. efforts, and it might have to do with Wednesday's meeting between Taiwan's president, Xi Wen and the new Republican Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy. This rare visit on U.S. soil happened despite threats of retaliation by China. The leaders met at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library, Taiwan's president vowing to defend the peaceful status quo in which the people of Taiwan can continue to thrive in a free and open society. She also thanked the U.S. for its unwavering support that, quote, reassures the people of Taiwan that we are not isolated. We are not alone. China had threatened resolute countermeasures last week and again on Monday over that meeting between Shai and McCarthy, condemning the Taiwanese leader's stops in the U.S. on her 10-day trip and demanding that no U.S. officials meet with her. From the Hill, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., a longtime anti-vaccine activist, filed paperwork Wednesday to run for president as a Democrat, Kennedy filed a statement of candidacy to challenge President Biden, who has yet to formally announce his bid for re-election in the 2024 Democratic primary. This is according to the Associated Press. Kennedy had launched a fundraising campaign last month on social media to help him decide whether or not to run for president. At the time, he tweeted, if it looks like I can raise the money and mobilize enough people to win, I'll jump in the race. Kennedy is the nephew of former President John F. Kennedy and the son of former Senator Robert F. Kennedy. He heads the Children's Health Defense, an anti-vaccine organization that has received strong criticism for misinformation. Last month, author Marion Williamson also announced a bid to run in a Democratic race for the White House. In health news from CNBC, Eli Lilly's experimental Alzheimer's drug lowered levels of brain plaque in patients who are in the earliest stages of the devastating disease. A higher dose of the up-and-coming drug Tug, had a larger effect on clearing the amyloid plaque, according to early clinical trial data from the company. Amyloid is a protein that builds up on the brain in Alzheimer's patients and disrupts cell function Researchers have argued that accumulation of that plaque is a crucial first step toward the cognitive decline observed in Alzheimer's disease. This early data comes as Eli Lilly continues its decades-long bid to bring an Alzheimer's drug to the market. Now on to the economy from Axios. Black workers shrinking employment gap. The labor market is seeing more equitable employment outcomes across racial groups than it has in years. America's labor market has continued to surprise to the upside. One real world effect is the lasting favorable job conditions for marginalized workers. For the half century that data has been available, white workers have enjoyed higher rates of employment than black workers. Now, that gap still exists, but it has been shrinking notably in recent months. Among the workers most likely to want a job, those aged between 25 and 54, the difference between white and black employment is 3.5 percentage points, which is roughly the smallest gap in data that goes back to 1994. So as for the big picture, experts say not every issue of inequity is resolved here. Not every job is equal. But employment is an important part of people's welfare. All right, time for On This Day in History. April 6th, 1896. The first modern Olympics open in Athens. The idea for the modern revival of the Olympic Games is attributed to Baron Pierre Cobertine. He founded the International Olympic Committee in 1894. And so the natural choice for the location of the first Games, Athens, Greece. On this day in 1917, the United States officially enters World War I. Two days after the U.S. Senate voted 82 to 6 to declare war against Germany, the U.S. House of Representatives also endorsed the declaration by a vote of 373 to 50. So America formally entered World War I. As the History Channel notes, about three years earlier, when World War I erupted in 1914, President Woodrow Wilson pledged neutrality for the United States, a position that the vast majority of Americans favored. Britain, however, was one of America's closest trading partners and tension soon arose between the United States and Germany. All right, on this day in 1980, the American company 3M started to sell Post-it notes in U.S. stores. I love a good Post-it note, except, of course, for a breakup. Anyone who has seen Sex in the City knows that Berger committed a cardinal sin when he broke up with Carrie Bradshaw via Post-it note. And now on to some music history. In 1974, the Swedish Europop group ABBA had their international breakthrough, capturing the top prize at the Eurovision Song Contest with Waterloo. And I can't send you off without a little trivia. Have you ever wondered how ABBA got its name? It is actually an acronym of the first letters of the band members' first names. Those names, Agnetha, Bjorn, Benny, and Anni-Frid. And with that, a huge thank you for listening to the Mo News Podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the App Store so we can continue to grow. For news 24-7, don't forget to follow us on the Instagram account at Mosheh, M-O-S-H-E-H. Have a great Thursday, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.